You're listening to Comedy Central. December 13, 2018. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. You guys are warm. This is great, really warm. Uh, I'm Trevor Noah. Tonight, we have two amazing guests joining us on the show. First, renowned journalist Bob Woodward is here, everybody. True legend. And then, singer and actor Janelle Monet is gonna be here. Could not be more excited for that. But first, let's catch up on today's headlines. As you may know, Kevin Hart stepped down from hosting the Oscars last week. Although I don't know how you step down from anything when you're his height. <laughs> and now the Oscars are trying to find a host who has no history of offensive tweets, which means nobody. The Oscars may go without a host. Published reports say the Academy is considering scrapping the gig after Kevin Hart stepped down. The Academy held a board meeting last night, but so far, no official word on the host position. The Oscars have gone hostless before, but not since 1988. No! <laughs> the Oscars will have no host. But who will introduce the person who introduces the presenter, who introduces the nominees? <laughs> Who will tell me that Amy Adams is in the audience? No! <laughs> Seriously, sometimes I don't get the Oscars. It's like, why does America celebrate the best movies with the worst TV show? Like, I don't get it. <laughs> like, if you ask me, they should use this opportunity to revamp the entire show. Yeah, don't have a host. In fact, don't even have a presenter for the awards, right? The people in each category should have to announce who gets their award. Then we really get to see best actor, yeah. We're gonna have to give it to someone else. The winner is, oh hell, yay! <laughs> and also, and also, they should change the in memoriam segment. Instead of showing the people who died last year, they should show the people who they think are gonna die next year. <laughs> then you can enjoy the applause now, yeah. <laughs> Moving on. The Holland Tunnel, right here in New York City. It's one of the most frustrating tunnels to drive through. But not everyone hates it for the same reason. The New Jersey man is taking on the Port Authority. He is not happy with how they've decked the halls at the Holland Tunnel, and he wants the decorations to be changed. On the New Jersey side of the Holland Tunnel, a wreath covers the O in Holland perfectly this time of year, like it was designed for that spot. Another wreath covers the U in tunnel snugly. <laughs> And then there's the tree. You're creeping up inch by inch, and that tree is just staring at you, and you go, how is, no, how is that not in the right place? The right place for the tree, Corey Windelspect says, is over the preceding A, which would, he says, seem to fit a tree shape perfectly. Yo, yo, ladies, ladies, find you a man who cares about you as much as this guy cares about the Holland Tunnel's <laughs> Christmas decorations. Now, this guy's been so serious and he's pushed so hard that the state has said they're actually gonna consider changing the decorations. But I can only imagine all the New Jersey bureaucracy that's gonna be involved, you know? It's gonna be people in New Jersey being like, you gotta fill out form W-7J, but because it's Jersey, it's gonna be like on the form, you gotta 
fucking problem, tough guy? <laughs> Followed by form J-27, where you explain, wait, you know little Anthony? If yes, from the old neighborhood, no kissing. His ma used to make the best chicken cutlets. <laughs> Moving on to international news. Poor Britain, guys. In 2016, they voted for Brexit, which was to leave the European Union, but they can't figure out a way to do it that doesn't screw themselves. In fact, this week, Theresa May, their prime minister, offered a Brexit plan that was so unpopular that her own party held a vote to kick her out of office. Yeah, now she survived that vote, and the good news, actually, is for her is that she won, but, but the bad news is, is that she has had to promise that as soon as Brexit is done, she will leave, which is a terrible deal for her. Basically, I'll do the worst part of the job, and then I'll quit. <laughs> it's also a bad deal for Britain, because you don't want someone doing a tough job if they know they're gonna be fired no matter what happens. <laughs> like, if I was a surgeon, and I knew I was getting fired after I finished a kidney transplant, you better believe I'm replacing that kidney with a whoopee cushion. I don't play games. <laughs> I'm out! What do you want me to do? I'm out! I'm gone! <laughs> but, but now... But now, in an interesting twist, Britain might have an out, because the European court, or the EU court has just ruled that if Britain wants to, it can cancel Brexit without facing any repercussions, which sounds like a great deal to me. I wish there were bad decisions I could just magically undo <laughs> without any repercussions. Yeah, but I can't, and now I'm pregnant. <laughs> Moving on, finally, let's talk about Christmas shopping. It's the only time of the year you're allowed to fight an old lady for a panini press. <laughs> and everyone knows that when it comes to gift giving, it's the thought that counts. Well, not everyone knows. Donald Trump Jr. is revealing what Christmas is like in the Trump family. The president's eldest son says his father is a, quote, re-gifter. There was one Christmas where he may or may not have given me the gift that I had given him the year before because I monogrammed it. And it was like, oh, yeah, here, like, I'm like, I know you didn't get this. How do you know that? Because I gave it to you last year. <laughs> yeah, you laugh now, Don Jr., but wait until next Christmas when he tries to re-gift you his subpoenas. <laughs> oh, look, it says you're impeached and you're going to jail. Merry Christmas, son. <laughs> you know, I... I don't know... I don't know what's more awkward. Trump re-gifting something to his son or the time he gave Melania and Stormy Daniels the same penis. <laughs> oh! 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 Did I do that? Let's move on to our main story. Ah, <laughs> oh, yesterday, Michael Cohen, Trump's former attorney and world's droopiest man, was sentenced to three years in prison for arranging payments to cover up Trump's affairs. And no wonder this guy looks so sad. He's going to jail and his arm has no bones in it. <laughs> like that. And, and can I just say, can I just say, I don't get why Trump and his people paid women to keep quiet about his affairs. It's a waste of money. We all know the guy has affairs. If anything, the women should be paying Trump hush money. They should be like, hey, Donald, let's just keep this between us and your cheese doodle, yeah? Don't tell anybody. And now, I, I look, I know that it seems like every day there's a new bombshell in the Trump story, but this update, this update could actually be major another friend of the president is now cooperating. 
Prosecutors say the publisher of the National Enquirer agreed to talk about paying hush money to cover up an alleged sexual affair for the president. Prosecutors revealed yesterday they struck a deal not to charge the Enquirer's parent company, AMI, for its involvement. In exchange, AMI admitted that its principal purpose in making the payment was to suppress the woman's story to prevent it from influencing the election. Okay, now this is massive. The National Enquirer has agreed to testify against Donald Trump. And I know you're wondering, oh, what could a gossip magazine possibly tell prosecutors? <laughs> yeah, what, are they just gonna be like, all right, I'll tell you everything I know. Here are five celebs who look fat on vacation. I'll tell you, <laughs> and you won't believe number four. But in this case, it's a big deal, right? Because the National Enquirer has been tight with Trump for decades. So tight, in fact, that if anybody had a scandalous story about Trump, the National Enquirer would pay for that story and literally lock it away in a safe. And now, now that they're cooperating with the feds, we may get to see what's in that safe, which means Chuck Schumer can put his favorite cat suits away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you can change out of that, Chuck. We're good. Although, if there is a safe filled with Trump secrets, I just assume whoever enters it immediately gets HPV. It's just like, blah, blah. <laughs> now look, now look. Paying people hush money is not a crime. Remember this. But if it turns out that a presidential candidate secretly used campaign funds to hide damage, damaging information from voters, that is a felony. And today, it's being reported that Donald Trump was actually in the room when the whole plan was hatched, which is a big deal. Because remember, he wasn't even in the room when his own son was hatched. Yeah. <laughs> and that's right, I said it. Eric is part bird. It's one of the stories the National Enquirer locked away, people. So the president is implicated in a criminal conspiracy. And most people agree that this looks really bad for President Trump. But according to many top Republicans, no, it doesn't. If Schiff is taking this beyond to, to go forward and say there's a impeachable offense because of a campaign finance problem, there's a lot of members in Congress who would have to leave for that same place. If we're gonna prosecute people and put them in jail for campaign finance violations, we're gonna become a banana well, republic, you, like me... where they have every president gets prosecuted and everybody gets thrown in jail when they're done with office. Okay, hold on, hold on. <laughs> Did he just say that upholding the law will turn America into a banana republic? Is that what he just said? <laughs> this is mind-blowing. How are lawmakers going on TV complaining about the law when they make the law? <laughs> They're out there like, these laws are crazy. You make the law. <laughs> this would be like God complaining to us about the commandments. Oh, I mean, what do you mean thou shalt not cover it? Have you seen Greg's wife? Have you seen her? <laughs> Have you seen her Instagram? She's been posting thirst traps, guys. I can't, I can't control myself. Seriously, his argument is that politicians shouldn't be held accountable for campaign finance violation laws. But if campaign finance laws aren't for politicians, then who the are they for? <laughs> like, but at least, at least those politicians, at least those Republicans pretended that they had a reason. For Orrin Hatch, he just told us the truth. The Democrats will do anything to hurt this president. Anything. But this is not the Democrats, this is the Southern District of New York, the U.S. Attorney. I mean, that's what's making this allegation. Okay, but, uh... I, I don't care. All I can say is he's doing a good job as president. Really? You think he's doing a good job as president? Orrin Hatch, you, you need to get your imaginary glasses checked, my friend. That's, that's what you need to do. You need to get them checked, okay? 
And also, and also, doing a good job doesn't absolve you of previous crimes. All right, the Hamburglar did a good job of volunteering for Doctors Without Borders, but that doesn't change the fact that he stole all those Big Macs and exposed himself to Grimace. <laughs> it's still a crime. And look, I understand. I understand the Republicans' desire to protect their party's president. I get that. But they're pivoting so far just to defend him that they're moving away from what they said the Republican Party stands for in the first place, law and order. No one is above the law. The American people have a right to know the answers and to know what was going on here. We should treat people fairly. No one should be above the rules and no one should be above the law. We are enforcing the laws as they exist on the books. I can say that uh, it is very biblical to enforce the law. Uh, that is actually repeated a number of times throughout the Bible. We must maintain law and order at the highest level or we will cease to have a country. 100%. I am the law and order candidate. That's right, folks. I am the law and order candidate, as in I will break the law in order to become president. We'll be right back. is the legendary Pulitzer Prize-winning investigative journalist, best-selling author, and associate editor of The Washington Post. His latest book is called Fear, Trump in the White House. Please welcome Bob Woodward. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be here. Can I just tell you, one of my favorite experiences was I was doing shows in Washington, D.C., and I, I went to eat at a restaurant, and you were eating at the same restaurant, and you, you got up to... You were just leaving the restaurant, I guess, but it felt like everyone in D.C., like, turns to look at you, like, that's the guy who could write about us and end our careers. <laughs> <laughs> you... You've I remember that night. My fly was down. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember because I was looking at your eyes, Bob. <laughs> you have written about nine presidents. It feels like for a long time, people always regarded you as Bob Woodward, the journalist who is impartial. He writes the story as it is. I mean, you wrote about Nixon as well. You wrote about nine presidents. This book feels different, though. It still feels like you're impartial, but it feels it feels like it really, really condemns President Trump. Because of the evidence, time and time again. If, if, if you look um, for, for a summary, it's a war on truth, and he's making all these decisions in foreign policy, in the economy, and it, it's not based on facts. And so I, I think we're really, I think this is a, pivot moment. Right. And the country needs to come to grips with what's going on. And there are going to be investigations going on for years, probably. But here you have a situation where the president, people who work for him, have to take papers off his desk in order to prevent him from beginning a 
catastrophe, like there was an order ab about a trade agreement in South uh, Korea, and you think, oh, that's just a trade agreement, but it's a part of an alliance with South Korea, right? Uh, where we have 28,000 of our troops there. We have top secret special access intelligence programs that allow us to detect a North Korean missile launch in seven seconds. And Trump wants to begin that process. And Gary Cohen, his top economic aide, says, I have to take that in order to prevent a calamity. Now, I have, I've done this for 47 years, and I've never seen people who felt there was such an emergency. This is, this is an interesting idea. A president who has people around him who publicly defend him, but then privately seem to lambast his every single move. Because this book is not written as an observation. You spoke to people who work in the White House, who work for the president. You have notes, you have tape recordings. I'm, I'm constantly amazed, and, and, and I struggle to understand the fact that these people work for him, and they all seem to know that the emperor has no clothes, but they tell us that he's wearing Versace. <laughs> yeah. And what you find, because I have the time to really develop relationships of trust with people who are there, is the more they know, the closer they are to Trump, the more they are on the verge of having a cardiac arrest because <laughs> of what wow. he does and what he does not know. And he will get locked into these ideas. Oh, like NATO, that security agreement that has kept the peace for 70 years. Right. He said, oh, we're wasting our money. We're suckers for doing this. And finally, I mean, I, I never thought this would happen. The Secretary of Defense has to tell the president, oh, we're doing these things to prevent World War III. Job one for a president, prevent World War III, <laughs> right? <laughs> just, just, just to put it in context, can you imagine Dick Cheney, when he was Secretary of Defense to Bush Sr., having to tell him, oh, by the way, this is all designed to prevent World War III. Inconceivable when it I... It seems like the very basic understandings of the presidency and what's happening in the country are things that Trump doesn't grasp. But there's always something that people bring up, and that is they say, this is just like Nixon now. You know, apart from his knowledge, they're saying like, oh, the, the shady dealing, this is just like Nixon. You actually wrote about Nixon. You are, in many ways, part of the reason that Nixon got into the trouble that he got into. Now. Do you think this is similar to Richard Nixon? We're gonna find out, and it all depends on the quality of evidence, and there's a lot of aroma, there are lots of things going on, as you're rightly pointing out. Wait a minute, these are violations of the law. Right. When does it get so serious that the Republicans will wake up? That's the question, and they now are the enablers of Trump in all of this stuff. And you get to them privately and you say, what do you think? And they say, my head hurts so hard. Tough. We, but, but, we are, you know, this, this, look, I mean, just take uh, in the book, John Dowd 
who was uh, Trump's, Trump's personal attorney, yeah. attorney in the Mueller investigation, worked with him for eight months closely, big supporter, and said, okay, you're going to have to testify to this special counsel Mueller. And uh, Trump says, okay, uh, I can do that, no problem. So they do a practice session, and Trump starts making up things, lying, blows up, and... In the practice th session. In the practice session, and this is his lawyer, said, you can't testify. If you testify, you will perjure yourself, and you'll wind up in an orange jumpsuit. Like the one you picture Trump in, right? And uh, and then he finally uh, concludes that Trump is a effing liar. I know you're not supposed to say that word. Oh, you can say it here. Okay, you can say it here. I mean, um, okay. Here's something that you might be able to help me understand because what what I what I loved about this book is that honestly. It's a retelling of a story. I don't feel your personal attachment to it. It is, it is a complete factual telling of a story and interviews that you have with people. But from your personal perspective, from the interactions you've had with some of the people who work with Trump, wh why don't they just move on? They have pence. What, what, is the, what is the end game for them? What do they hope will happen? Uh, it's survival. And imagine where I met Meryl Streep, the actress, great actress, said just recently, imagine what Donald Trump's 3 a.m. is like. Just think of that. He gets up and he tweets. You look at uh, this morning, he was tweeting from 7 to 10 or 11, and all about uh, taking defensive positions on, right. on all of this. You know, you know, one of the things from doing nine presidents, you, you come to the moment when somebody asks you, well, what's the job of the president? And my definition of the job of the president is to figure out the next stage of good for a majority of people in the country. Win a war, fix the economy. We could put a board up here right. and we would come up with a list, not for the base or one party or interest groups. You know, there really is a next stage of good for this country. Right. As best I can tell, in Trump's world and presidency, that never comes up. It is not addressed. It's all about the moment of, you know, you saw that 20-minute Oval Office. Right, I mean, right. I mean, it's all about Trump and his emotions, his impulses. Um, he got to the point of saying, well, I'll close down the government and be proud of it. Right. That will be a good thing. Well, come on. I mean, he's, he's, I mean, imagine the head of GM saying that, oh, we'll close down all the plants <laughs> and, I'll, take and, the and I'll be proud of it. So then do you so, think, do you think, if you just look at this on the yeah. face of it, one thing we've always said is, he has earned the nickname the Teflon Don. It seems like nothing sticks to Donald Trump. Do you think there's a world where Cohen goes down, Flynn goes down, Manafort goes down, Papadopoulos goes down, everybody around him goes down, and he miraculously comes out unscathed? Uh, we don't know, but the, having Cohen, the personal lawyer, for 10 years, we know Cohen taped all kinds of things. In the right. Nixon case, it was thousands of hours of tapes. I don't think those exist. But if there's one witness you want, 
it's the president's lawyer. Because you see, in when uh, Trump was in New York real estate, uh, real estate, they uh, people would do deals with him, right. and and they called it the Donald Risk, taking any arrangement with him. And what they made sure they did is they would structure the deal so he couldn't get his hand hands on the cash flow, wow. on the money, because he would just take it out and they would try to prevent that from happening. So the operation, uh, saddest moment in journalism in American politics of the last decade is we did not get his tax returns. We should know his tax returns. If anyone out there has them, please let me know. <laughs> really? <laughs> oh, man. Thank you so much for okay. being on the show. Thank the you. book is phenomenal. A true legend. Bob Woodward, everybody. Fear is available now. Go ahead and get it. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Daily Show. My next guest is an actor and an award-winning musician who was just nominated for two Grammys, Album of the Year for Dirty Computer and Best Music Video for Pink. Please welcome Janelle Monet. I'm finally here. You are finally here. I have been a fan of yours chasing you around from event to event. <laughs> I have loved everything that you have done for so long. First of all, congratulations on your Grammy uh, nomination. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. You've always struck me as somebody who creates because you love creating. You know, you, you don't create to win, to, to sell, to do a thing. I mean, these are byproducts of it, but you've always struck me as an artist, artist. But being nominated, that, that hit you, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've been wanting, you know, to, to do this album for a while now. It was actually supposed to be the album I did before my, before my first album, The Arc Android. Right. And so um, I went through a lot to get this album done, a lot of conversations I've had to have with myself, with my family. Um, you know, as I, I became a young woman, uh, my perspective started to change and the way I wanted to create art uh, started to evolve. And, you know, it just took a lot, and I worked with a lot of amazing people to get it done, and, and uh, I was very shocked and humbled that, you know, I could do an album that was so much about me and about my truth, and because I was walking in my truth, right. other folks, you know, um, saw themselves in this project, so it just feels like, you know, it's a, it's a great acknowledgement to me and, and, and the community of people I wanted to celebrate. That's something that's really beautiful about, yeah, something that I found really powerful about Dirty Computer is that you created this passion project that said everything you wanted to say, but at the same time, it felt like it was speaking to all of us in our individual ways. You know, some people said that this was a, a proud celebration of womanhood for all women. Some said, no, this is, this is a, a proud celebration of, of being gay, of being queer. This is, this is, and at the same time, it feels like it's all of those things. When you were constructing the album, when you're writing these songs, are you thinking of the message in the song or, or do you write the song and then you realize that it has a message? How was that working when you created all of this? Well, it went through 
many stages. There were moments where I would write songs on the way to the dentist. <laughs> I had this song on the album that I wrote called So Afraid. And right. I was, my, oh, that makes my, sense, my, yeah. My, yeah, I was having, <laughs> exactly, because I am indeed afraid of the dentist. Right. Um, but yeah, I was, I was in my car, and only at stoplights, I would stop and be like, ah, and just singing the background vocals, and then once I was in the chair, I was still mouth open, <laughs> came back and told, you know, my, my uh, lead producer, Nate Rocket Wonder, um, how I wanted the song to go, and he helped me realize that there were moments where I would wake up uh, out of my sleep and have a voice melody in my head and have to put it on my, my um, uh, voice memo. Right. Uh, and then there were just moments where I would collaborate uh, with incredible people like Zoe Kravitz, um, Stevie Wonder, these are people on the album, um, uh, Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys. Right. Um, Pharrell, <laughs> Pharrell Williams, Grimes, um, you know, so many amazing folks who came together and said, uh, we believe in, in what it means to be a dirty computer, what it means to um, have us, you walking in your truth so that other marginalized groups uh, can, can have a soundtrack to their life. Wow. When you... Um When you released Dirty Computer, I remember watching the full film. As oh, a, I mean, it's, it's a film. It? I did. I told you about this. It's, it's, it's beautiful. It's a story that you watch from beginning to end. And, and it's a journey of lovers, and it's a journey of the world. It, it, it's such a beautiful story. Tessa Thompson stars in it. She's amazing as yes, well. Yes, shout out to Tessa. And Incredible. It really is amazing. And, and in, that, in that clip that we saw of Pink, that was something that got people buzzing. I mean, some people in the <laughs> audience haven't seen that video. And I saw some of you were watching that and you were like, are those, is, <laughs> is, is that, are those, uh, is that, and everyone's given them a different name. People have been like, are those the vagina pants? Right. Are, are those the vulva pants? Right. Are those the, but, yeah. but, but what, was, what was that about? Why was that so significant? Because I knew it went beyond just like, it wasn't like shock value, it's a beautiful artistic form, sure. but what was the message behind all of that for you? And why were they all so different? Well, the message is, on the album start with me right. first, you know, um, and as a woman, as a black woman who is, you know, I own uh, my sexuality and um, I have agency. If I want to show my skin, I can. If I don't want to, I don't have to, but it's up to me to make those decisions. Right. And so, um, I wanted to celebrate women who, who, who share those same beliefs as well as other women who, who may not just all of us coming together, embracing those things that make us unique, even if it makes others uncomfortable. I wanted, I wanted it to just be a love fest of women saying, hey girl, I see you, yeah. you know? I support you. Yeah. It feels like it's done that. Um, I mean, I know now it's going to be the Grammys push. Now it's gonna be that, you know, that, that monumental, you know, wait. I mean, everyone has it before the Grammys come up. But this has been a chapter in your life. We know that you're acting as well now. You are phenomenal. I mean, you've been in, I don't know, is it now two Academy Award uh, nominated films? You, you, you've been amazing in all of them. Thank you. I know where you're trying to go, but what are you trying to do with your work moving forward, both mm -hmm. in acting and in music? I love storytelling. I love telling these universal stories in unforgettable ways. And, um, you know, with Moonlight and with Hidden Figures, it was just, it was such an honor to be in those films because they're, they're, 
they could have been stories that could have been erased. You know, I didn't know right. about the three black women or all the women who helped uh, get John Glenn in, into orbit. Right. I didn't realize we were at NASA literally calculating and making sure that our astronauts went to space right. and, and came back safely. The first computers, yeah. We were the human computers, and it's crazy. I was working on Dirty Computer when I was shooting um, Hidden Figures. Right. And when they referred to me as a computer on set, it was always a reminder of, oh my gosh, I have to continue to write this album. Because in the same way that we're telling these stories of these women, um, my story could be a race. There's nobody who could have done that album except for me. And so I had to make myself available and like, really, um, you know, take the time to just dig deep. You've dug deep, you've taken us with you. It's amazing, you have the nominations to show for it. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Welcome to Marwin. The new movie she's in will be in theaters December 21st. She'll be touring Europe this summer, and Dirty Computer is available now. Janelle Monet, everybody. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.